Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 40 of the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about USC football, everyone's favorite subject out there. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk more about USC football and that big win over Stanford up there on the farm. And we'll have Michael Lev from the Orange County Register joining us, so that will be a nice treat. But first, in our first segment, as always, we are joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, how's everything going? Everything is just great. I'm enjoying the bye week. We've got some great games to watch this week. It'll determine a lot with the DCS standings. And uh, the Trojans are out recruiting and then getting ready for, of course, the next big Saturday game against Notre Dame. So how can it get any better than that? It's tough. It's tough to get better. So if anyone out there has any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Also want to thank our sponsor for the first segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is their home on the web, or you can give them a call, one 800 888 7287 if you need tickets for concerts, sporting events, or any of the last two USC football games against Notre Dame and UCLA, give them a call over at sctickets.com. I'll tell you, it's important you do that too, especially that UCLA game, because I'll tell you, that game might have a real lot to do with where the Trojans go, either the Rose Bowl or one of the other BCS Bowl games and where the final rankings will come out. Because it all happens the next day, so you can't miss that big rivalry game. You know, it's a one-game season anyway. Definitely. And uh, two years ago, USC fans will remember that people thought they were going to the national championship game and ended up losing to UCLA. That really set them back. So there's a, people talking about the BCS a lot, and we can talk about that in this segment a little bit, but there's so much football left to be played. A lot of upsets can happen. Is uh, the Citadel going to beat Florida? Probably not, but there's a lot of other games where you know they're closer than people think, and, and a lot of things can happen. A lot of football to be played, Coach. Oh, yeah, that Southeastern Conference has another tough non-conference opponent, I'll tell you. If it isn't the <laughs> Citadel, it's Louisiana Monroe or maybe Arkansas State or maybe everybody ought to play Troy State, huh? So they get an equal shot, or maybe Troy State ought to join the Southeastern Conference. You know, I'm not quite sure. You know, they play all these non-conference teams, and then when they get in conference play, everybody in the Southeastern Conference says, we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up. And, uh, you know, but who do they beat up? They don't beat themselves up in any non-conference games, so they got to say uh, something. I think the Southeastern Conference, and we're not going to talk about it, I think it's overrated, okay, this year especially. I think there's two good teams uh, in there, and that's the University of Florida. I think they're the best team. We'll find out in the championship game. Alabama, I've got them six in my poll. Everybody else has got them one. We'll see what happens. Yeah, a lot, lot to be played. Uh, Troy almost beat LSU. That would have been funny. But, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a down year for LSU, but somehow they'll still be ranked in the top ten, whatever. But wait, well, let's talk about that game up there in Palo Alto, uh, Coach. Uh, you know, I was up there, made the trip up there. I was down on the sidelines watching. And the first half, got a lot. it got a, a feel of that Oregon State game. Uh, this wasn't a time where USC was turning the ball over and giving Stanford opportunities. This was Stanford taking their own opportunities. You know, we talk about 
can Stanford drive the length of the field? They did. They kept doing it. And uh, they were keeping the USC defense off balance. They were putting up points. And the USC offense was horrific in the first quarter. Six total yards in the first quarter. I mean, it was really painful to watch. Uh, it, it was it was very interesting to see what was going on. And, and a lot of people were questioning, is USC going to be able to turn it around? But obviously, they eventually did. Well, they finally found out what can really work for them, and it gave a rhythm to their offense. And I and I and I hear Pete Carroll talking this week about no, we're not just going to run the football. We've got to keep balancing our offense and so on, which I agree 100. percent But to win championships, you've got to have great defense, great special teams, and you've got to be able to run the football. And I think it brought a lot of confidence to the USC offense. I mean, I, did, I saw everybody happy on the sideline with the offensive side of the football. The offensive line was happy. All the offensive backs were happy. Now, the receivers had to do a little stock blocking, but so what? It's time to share the love. And then the quarterback, of course, Sanchez, you know, when you, you're able to hand the ball off and make yards, and the, that develops your play-action pass. Now against the rest of the teams the rest of this season, hey, people are going to have to play the run. And, and the backs loved it, and they were happy. I think Broderick Green decided to transfer a little bit too early if this can, continues. So I thought it was great for the USC confidence of the offensive line. They had lost confidence. The first half, my gosh, I have to agree, that had to be the worst first half of USC offense I have seen in many, many years. It really was. And, and it, was, it was, you know, a different beat to it. I mean, as far as throwing the ball around, no remaining backs, no rhythm, nothing. And they just decided to go in, and whoever made the call, they decided to pound the football, and, and they pounded the football, and everything worked good, and the team had a lot of morale, and they turned it around, and they rushed for over 200 yards, and, and it, it was just a great feeling. Everybody you know, sort of said, wow, now this is what you call a rhythm and a style and, and, and something that you know, people are going to say, we got to stop that running game and when those linebackers step up in there to stop that running game which they're going to have to do that's going to open up the middle of the field with curls and slants and all kinds of play action pass then they're going to be a very difficult team to stop now you know what stanford did in the first half they just played the pass they had one of the worst pass defenses in the country going into the game and they just said hey you know we just take away the pass and gamble with them and they did that but then sc came back and ran the football, and they couldn't stop at all. And, and why stop? I've always told you this, Ryan, and I'll, Ryan, and I'll say it again and again and again on all my shows. You've got to run a play more than one time. If something works, repeat it. If it doesn't work, repeat it. Just keep pounding at it, pounding at it, and it'll work. So, uh, you know, I, I was just really thrilled. I thought, I thought that second half of uh, USC football, uh, demonstrated the type of football that can make them a national championship team if they get that opportunity. Now, I agree with you the way Stanford played defense. It looked like they were playing the pass to start right off the bat to start the game. And uh, those little wide receiver screens that uh, Sark likes to throw right in the beginning of the game, I mean, they were all over that. They were basically selling out trying to stop the pass. And the whole first quarter, there were – you know how many handoffs to tailbacks there were in the first quarter, Coach? Do you – do you want to take a guess? Probably none. There was one. There was one handoff. They had one reverse, two sacks, and everything else. So, you know, the one reverse to Rojo, one handoff to, I believe it was Gable. Everything else 
was. And how about that reverse pass? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I I was filming that and I kind of got lost and missed that. But they they were practicing that a little bit in the week. But the the first quarter, it just it, it was unbelievable. It seemed like they were very stubborn. Like we're gonna throw the ball. We're gonna throw the ball. And they kind of refused to run the ball, but they started doing it. Yeah, they had a bad first half, but they actually started to run a little bit in the second quarter. That one long drive that they had, it's because they started running the ball, you know, pound the ball. Here's CJ. Here's, here's Stefan. Here they go. They kept going back and forth. I would have liked to see, like, CJ get three or four carries in a row or Stefan get three or four carries in a row instead of the alternating backs there. But they did start running the ball in the second quarter and got that one scoring drive. And then, of course, like you said, in the second half, it opened everything up, and it just do you, do you think that they didn't go to the run early enough, or they had to keep doing what they were doing with the pass, and then eventually figure it out? No, that should be part of the regular game plan, not just one half or one quarter. It's be a portion of their offense that people know they have to stop in order for the other things to go off of it. And uh, you know, when you don't have something like that, people will play the pass. And you build confidence with your running game. You make your players tougher with the running game. Your offensive line becomes tougher. Your backs become tougher. Look how good Joe McKnight looked. Look how good they all looked. Because they were doing their thing. They didn't have pressure on them. Oh, i got to make a big play this play. Hey, they had reps. They had rhythm. The line knew that, you know, that there was belief there. Success was happening. Whenever you have success, you build confidence. And the way the offense has been getting beat up, not not beat up as far as physical, but beat up by the media and myself and others. They needed this type of performance. And I tell you, I'll bet you they're confident. They feel good about themselves. They're just hoping that this type of rhythm and this type of offense is the same type of thing that will happen against Notre Dame when the play calling starts again. Yeah, and uh, Mark Sanchez, if you want to talk about him a little bit, didn't have his best game, obviously, but it was, you know, he had. He was fairly efficient. He wasn't turning the ball over. Um, do you see him progressing? I think this is one of the topics that have been on our message boards. Do you see Mark Sanchez kind of getting better uh, as the season goes on? I mean, this wasn't a game where he had to throw the ball as much. They had, I think he only had like 17 attempts, which is the fewest of his career. But are you seeing him advance as he keeps playing as a Trojan? Well, I keep telling you all along, he's, he's a great player. And I tell you, I keep him in a safe. I would have security guards walking around with him all over campus. Uh, I would treat him like the president because I'll tell you, without him in there, I don't have that confidence. I think he's a leader, not only offensively, but defensively. He's a true coach on the field. He's a 12th man, as they say at Texas A&M. And, you know, it's pretty hard to put that pressure on a guy that if he has a bad game, the team loses. Hey, Bull, there's 10 other players out there. And I tell you, after a while, when you do the same thing over and over and over, people get smart. They have formation tendencies. They know what you want to do to win or what, you, what you're going to do. Like you said, they threw those bubble screens and they do the same stuff. So they play those things. And he can't throw through people. He can't throw p- through people. He's got to be able to. I think that Mark Sanchez will do whatever it takes to win. He's not a guy that, hey, I've got to throw 40 balls a game or I'm not happy. He's, he'd rather hand the football off. 75 times, have 1,000 yards in rushing for the team, and win the football game. That's the type of player I believe he is. And, you know, and, and, you know is he getting better? He'll get better now because now they have a uh, – if they continue with the running game, because now a defense has problems defensing them. They're not always looking for the big play or a third down or fourth down having to pass a slant 
Now they have to think about it. They have to think about what player they're going to run. And, and I like the two-back offense. I, I like these guys uh, in an eye. I like Havili in there along with uh, Gabriel or whoever it is. I think it brings so much to it, line up in an eye and shift out of the eye. Havili is not a bad little receiver. And uh, I'll tell you, I think you can cause a lot of problems to a defense when you're able to run the football. So it hasn't been Mark Sanchez. It's been the rhythm of what I think is happening out there where guys aren't wide open. Hey, some of the passes he completes are unbelievable passes between people. I mean, for touchdowns. How about that pass to Patrick Turner uh, a week ago against uh, Cal? I mean, my gosh. It has to be exactly perfect for it to happen. So, uh, and when a guy's wide open, like Havili was, he hits him. So, you know, what can you say? I mean, you can't put it all on one guy. You know, you got to have help. All right. Uh, we're with the coach, Harvey Hyde, breaking down the USC-Stanford game. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, like we said before in the opening, uh, Stanford really had their way uh, offensively with the, the USC defense, and they, they did what most people can't do on this defense, and they drove the length of the field multiple times. And it looked to me the biggest problem was up front on the USC defensive line. I don't know if it's just the Stanford offensive line was playing out of their mind, but they were really, in my opinion, neutralizing uh, that front four from USC, and their backs would get you know into that second tier, and then the linebackers or secondary would have to make a play. What were you seeing going on and for the USC defense? Well, they didn't run a lot of plays. They just ran the plays that they ran very well, and they had great blocking schemes. I really liked the way they ran at the linebackers. They run blast at the linebackers. They bring their off guard around and block the linebacker or lead through the hole. The linebackers there or block the linebacker. They ran right at USC. The way you really hurt a team that's really quick is you run right at them because you neutralize them. And if you block and you maintain... Uh, your position on the line of scrimmage and don't allow penetration, now you're back and, and you know, uh, uh, the running back at Stanford, what's his name, Gerhardt, is this big, strong running back, 225-pound running back. So he runs straight in there and he's hard to knock down, but they've had great blocking schemes. And when you sort of stopped it, stopped it and you gained, a, a, jumped inside and brought your backers up tight so that you couldn't run inside, they ran that toss to, uh, to him very effectively outside. In fact, the, the first touchdown in the game, he went in untouched on the, on the little sweep toss or whatever you want to call it to the, the left side. You know, they continued running those plays during the game, but after you make some adjustments and you see what they're doing and so on, you, you shut it down. So, yeah, I have to agree with you, though. Their opening drive was the exact same way that Oregon State drove down the field against uh, USC, and I said, oh, yes, okay, here we go again uh, in, in my thoughts. But, but as the game went along, USC's defense really wore down Stanford. They just wore them down. And, uh, and that's what you can do when you have a lot of great players. Young players came in, uh, Armstead, Casey, and, and played great and so on, and uh, Garrido and, and these other players. You know, you, you have a chance to give them experience and, and be great. And what I really liked what happened with USC's offense, and I just I don't mean to jump back to the other side of the ball, but next year's team is going to be led by their offense. They have almost everybody back except for uh, Byers on the offensive line. Everybody's back. 
I mean, the whole offense is back, except I don't know if they have a loser receivers. Turner Sr.? Turner, yeah. Turner will be gone. I think he is. Huh? Yeah, Turner will be gone. Yeah, so he'll be gone, but everybody's back. Plus, there's a lot of great red shirts. So the strength going into the season next year is going to be the offense. So you've got to really have some confidence there, and they started to get confidence in that second half because you're going to have a lot of new starters, not everybody, but a lot of new starters as far as a linebacker next year and so on. You've got a lot of secondary guys back unless they come out. And, and you know, your defensive line is, is young, but who knows what's going to happen there. So I, I really – I just think, you know, first of all, the defense gave up those points – but the last seven, six points, and I don't understand why they didn't kick the extra point, but that last touchdown was, was a gimme, and uh, they played good, and, 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 I, and Stanford's not it's a very well-coached team. And I'll tell you, this, this guy Harbaugh's going to turn this program around. I'm going to tell you, that he is, he's got a swagger to him, okay? He's not intimidated. He's competing all the time. Uh, his players compete all the time. Next year, I've looked at his recruiting class. I would say it's the second best recruiting class in the Pac-10 next to USC. You know more. You you got all those uh, availabilities to check that stuff too, there, Ryan. But uh, I tell you, uh, it, it's Stanford was a nice win for USC. A nice win going into the bye, getting ready for the last two games. Coach, you bring up a very good point with uh, Harbaugh, and this is one of the. It's been a little bit of a topic on the USCFootball.com message boards. The coaching rivalries, I think it started off um, you know, with Tedford at Cal. He's the one that kind of showed the few chinks in the Pete Carroll armor, especially on defense. He was able to get some success. And uh, Mike Riley, of course, has won a bunch of games there. So, I, I, But he's just kind of like this nice, everybody likes him, like a James Taylor kind of guy. That it's, it's hard to have a rivalry with Mike Riley, I would think. But it looks like Jim Har- you know, Harbaugh is going to be that guy who's going to be the nemesis to Pete Carroll. He's going to be that rival. And you said I mean, they're going to recruit better. They don't have the athletes right now. Uh, last year, they stunned them. Uh, this year, they came out fighting and didn't have the athletes to finish. I mean, another recruiting class or two, he'll be able to have the same kind of schemes with better players. And, you know, USC won't be able to just, well, we're better. We're just going to run the ball out. They're going to have to figure out a way to beat this team. Do you see this being like the premier rivalry in the Pac-10 in the coming years? Oh, I do. I think it's going to be a great rivalry. Of course, you've always got Notre Dame and UCLA, and UCLA's having a good recruiting year, too. But I think another team that's going to be up uh, back and, and in a hurry is Stanford. Uh, they're having a great recruiting year, and he's got a swagger to him, and he's not intimidated. And uh, his kids back him up. I, I got a feeling watching his kids play, they like him. He's into the game with him. He's got a good staff. Uh, so I think if you're a Stanford fan, I, I look for the Cardinals to be back in the running. You know, they beat Cal, which I think they can beat Cal unless, uh, unless SC beat them up pretty good, but Cal can't throw the football. They just have quarterback problems. Uh, they'll be, they could go to a bowl game. They might go to the uh, Hawaii Bowl. There's a chance they might go to a Hawaii Bowl or somewhere because the Pac-10 is trying to find their seven spots, so if the team gets six wins, they're going bowling. So uh, it's going to be important that, the, you know, Stanford could go to a bowl game this year. Yeah, it would be a pretty amazing, the turnaround that he's been able to bring there to that program, especially under Walt Harris, how, how bad and sorry that team was. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good coaching rivalry. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not going to replace the rivalries that the team has with Notre Dame no. and UCLA. But, you know, their oldest rival, 
And Neuheisel, of course, can you know be the X factor here. He could become not only the team, you know, the team rival as far as like being the the biggest rival the USC team has, but he could be with the head-to-head recruiting stuff that he does with Carroll. He could eventually be that coaching rivalry as well. You know, this being the first year, it's going to be tough because they've struggled so mightily. I don't think it's going to be much of a game. But you know, and in the, in the, he gets a couple of recruiting classes as well. It could be another you know nemesis, so, so to speak, for Pete Carroll. I agree with I agree with you. Remember one thing: if you're trying to compete in the Pac-10, you always look at the best program in the Pac-10, and you see who's dominated that program, like Washington is going to do when they hire their coach this year. They got to say, "We got to get somebody who can compete with Pete Carroll. We got to get somebody who has the same personality, the same image, the same enthusiasm as Pete Carroll." UCLA did it with Rick Neuheisel to try to compete with Pete Carroll in Southern California. All right, in Washington, they're going to have to do that in Washington. They're going to have to get a proven winner to come in there that's been a head coach, got a couple ideas who that might be, that can compete with Pete Carroll. Stanford did it. Who can compete with Pete Carroll? Tedford has been able to compete with Pete Carroll. And you look and you felt Mike Riley, what can you say about him? He's been able to compete with with, uh, Pete Carroll at Oregon State. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but Every year, Oregon State wins nine or ten games. And every year, Oregon State goes to a bowl game. And, in fact, out of the last six years they've gone to a bowl game, five, of the five out of those six years they've won in bowl games. So, you know, if they happen to go to the Rose Bowl and SC goes to another BCS bowl game, don't be surprised if Oregon State wins that Rose Bowl. So don't, don't think it's going to be a downer. Those kids are getting better every, every day. So, you know, Mike Bellotti has been able to compete with Pete Carroll, but not good enough. He's won what six or he's going to be eight and three or nine and three this year. But they want to be in the Rose Bowl. Washington wants to be in the Rose Bowl. UCLA wants to be in the Rose Bowl. Arizona, they need to go to a bowl game, which they will this year. But they're the only team in the Pac-10 that hadn't been to the Rose Bowl. Dennis Erickson was supposed to be able to compete with Pete Carroll at Arizona State. He's going to feel a lot of pressure. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he stepped down. Really, because Pete Carroll puts a lot of pressure in USC on all of these programs. So when you hire now, you've got to look at the number one program in your conference, which is USC, and you say, i got to hire a guy who can compete with this guy. Otherwise, we don't have a chance. Well, Coach, it's going to be an exciting time in the Pac-10 in the next couple of years. See who the new coaches are coming in. See how these young coaches pan out. Thank you very much for talking about that. We'll talk about that more in the podcast in the years and years to come. But, Coach, anyway, thank you very much for your time this week, and we will talk to you again next week. It's always a pleasure, Ryan, and uh, have a great bye week, okay? All right, thank you. And if everyone else, if you need tickets, go to sctickets.com, Southern California Tickets. We'll be back after this short break talking with Michael Lev of the Orange County Register. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
USC Trojan fans to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans. Log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back, Trojan fans, to the Parastyle Podcast. And as promised in this segment, we have a special guest. First time on the podcast, we have Michael Lev from the Orange County Register, the USC beat writer. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Things are going well, going well. Wednesday, it's the bye week, so you don't shouldn't be too busy for you this week. Huh? There's only a few practices, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of a different rhythm for sure. Um, I did check out the basketball team Tuesday night. Another victory for them before shipping off to Puerto Rico. Uh, not sure what the agenda really is for the football team this week, other than kind of sharpening up, I guess, some of the minor deficiencies that they've shown in recent weeks. But uh, you know, Notre Dame is just around the corner. Yeah, definitely. You got the uh, two rivalry games coming up, and USC fans will be interested in that. Uh, three practices this week, and then they get back to a, a normal week, as normal, I guess, as you can be with uh, Thanksgiving falling on Thursday. But they will practice just all the same. Um, we had a couple questions I, I posted on the message board today on the Peristyle on USCfootball.com. We had a couple questions for you, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, would you mind taking a shot at those? Let's go. All right. Okay, first one from SC81. I love the uh, handles there. Do you feel the offense is performing as expected? And if not, where can improvements be made? That is a really good question. <laughs> I think the as expected part is a really key component to the question itself because, you know, let's think way back to the beginning of training camp or before the season started when we were kind of looking at this USC team as a whole. Everyone knew the defense was going to be great. You had more returning starters there, tons of experience, guys coming back from injuries you know, projected first-round picks, that was a given, and that has happened. All the question marks pretty much were on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think the expectation was that there would be some inconsistencies, and we have seen some inconsistencies. Um, so to, to me, the answer to that is yes, it, it has performed as expected. Um, what surprises me a little bit, though, Ryan, is that, you know, the it doesn't seem like the passing game has gotten better uh, over the course of the season. If anything, it's, it's regressed a little bit. Now the coaches will, will come back and spin that a different way, and they'll say, well, you know, Mark Sanchez is not throwing interceptions right now. He's doing what we want him to do, but we have not seen those explosive plays in recent weeks. No, I agree with you, and I talked to Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment about this a little bit. He was pretty pleased with the way Mark Sanchez has played, and I, I think – you know, I, I don't think I'm disappointed in the way he's playing. And when, when they talked about him being a young quarterback, I didn't really agree with that since he's it's his fourth year in the program and he has 11 or 12 starts or whatever that is. But, you know, they, they have kind of put an emphasis on – they've kind of changed him a little bit. I think he was a gunslinger coming in. And after some of those turnovers, I think they're trying to change that a little bit. So if you change a quarterback's identity, I think, you know, they will struggle a little bit. It, it seems like – He's different. Do you see him being different now, like you said, with the, the turnovers and stuff, as he was at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he's just taking fewer risks. 
Um, and I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing, you know, a few more sacks in recent games, too, is that instead of trying to get out of trouble and scramble around and make some sort of, you know, risky throw, um, he's kind of taken his lumps a little bit. Um, I also think a big factor in this whole thing, Ryan, is that defenses got some film on Mark. They got some film on what the offense is trying to do and did do in the beginning of the season, and I think they've adjusted accordingly. I think they're, they're kind of taking away those deep throws um, and forcing Mark to be more patient, which he's doing, and he's doing a very good job of it. Um, what I'd like to see is a more concerted effort to run the ball early in the game and then off of play action, I think they're going to be able to hit some of those post routes and those deep routes um, that have not been springing open for them lately. All right, we're here with Michael Lev from the Orange County Register, the USC beat writer, his first year on the beat. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, Michael, that brings us to the next question that came up. That's Jeff for SC. He goes, why do you feel the, offense, the offensive coaches seem to be reluctant to commit to the run? And I, I think you made a really good point where the Stanford defense, I believe, was trying to take away the pass. And in the first quarter, USC came out and passed almost exclusively, just almost like they were defiant of what, no matter what the Stanford defense was doing, they wanted to throw the ball. And they didn't have, obviously, they only had six yards in that first quarter. But why do you think they seem to be a little reluctant to commit to that run, especially early in the game? Yeah, well, what they keep saying is that they are a balanced offense. And they strive to be a balanced offense, you know, pretty close to 50-50. I think they have run the ball more than they have passed it this season. But it just, you know, as, as, your, uh, as your message boarder uh, points out, they haven't really made that firm commitment to the running game to just really come out and try to pound it uh, down the opponent's throat. Um, and I think there are a couple of factors in that. One is they're trying not to be predictable. And that is also one of the complaints a lot of fans have, that the offense is too predictable. Um, I think that the fans think that all of those kind of bootleg passes are extremely predictable, but that is one of the staples uh, of this offense, especially with a mobile guy like Mark Sanchez in it. I think another reason is that they're, you know, they don't ever say this, but we know that it's true. They're trying to make everybody happy. And that doesn't only include that stable of running backs. I mean, there's also wide receivers and tight ends that they're trying to accommodate. You know, they're trying to take advantage of all the talent that they have. I mean, you, you don't want to run the ball at the expense of getting it to Patrick Turner and Damian Williams and Ronald Johnson, these guys who are capable of making big plays. Um, what's interesting to me of late is, you know, Pete and uh, Steve Sarkeesian both saying, uh, that the second half of the Stanford game doesn't really change anything, even though they had such profound success. Um, maybe they're just saying that because they don't want you know, their next opponent to know what they're doing. Uh, but well, let's just put it this way. It would not surprise me at all uh, if we did see a little bit more uh, of a running style of attack in these final two games, uh, just given the direction things have been headed lately. Yeah, predictability, I think, is an interesting point because that does come up People discuss that quite a bit. And uh, I, I, I almost think like, I mean, I, I find them to be fairly predictable at times. Like when I see uh, they put David Osbury in and they put in Gabe, I'm like, okay, this is a run play. I mean, you, you, you can almost pick them out sometimes, what just not because of down and distance, but because of personnel. And it seems like the down and distance part is where they try to be unpredictable, almost to a fault at times where, you know, they, they want to throw the ball long on third and one and they want to run the ball on third and seven, and it's 
I mean, do you see that at all? It seems like they really go out of their way at times to do whatever's against conventional wisdom, wisdom down and distance wise. Yeah, there definitely are some peculiarities in there. Um, I think it, at the beginning of the season, and we still see this at times, I'm not sure they trusted the offensive line's ability in short yardage situations. So as a result, we saw a lot of bootleg plays. Um, there was a segment of the, uh, of the year when they were using Stanley Havili a lot in those short yardage situations, and they were sneaking the ball with Mark Sanchez. And obviously it's good to have a variety in those situations. Um, I, my argument, I guess, would be that the quarterback sneak and the fullback dive work almost every time. So why not keep doing those there? If you, if you want to have a low-risk uh, type of approach, I mean, those are the least risky plays in existence. It's funny that you mention um, when Osbury comes in. I, I think there were several times in the Stanford game when both Osbury and Vidal Hazelton would come into the game, and you know, I would just you know elbow whoever was next to me and say, "Hey, this is going to be a running play." <laughs> and sure enough, most of the time uh, it was a running play. Yeah, but there, there's that one time. It almost is like I feel like Sarkeesian kind of almost he'll do that one time. He's like he's doing that every time just because there's will be one time he wants to set up uh, and, and make that play work. And you know they did that in the Rose Bowl last year. I know you weren't around there, but the, you know they put Garrett Green in in the beginning of the game and and he ended up throwing that pass and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's almost I'm not sure what it is, but there seems to be this kind of infatuation with they they mix people in all the time and it's. You, I think you make yourself more predictable by, you know, there's only certain plays that certain players can run, you know, and so there you bring in guys in and, and you almost can narrow down what that play is going to be just because of the personnel. Yeah, and they, they actually did something a little bit different in this last game, though they deny that they did anything different. But, <laughs> you know, C.J. Gable played, you know, ran the ball several plays in a row on the same series and ended up scoring a touchdown. Stephon Johnson ran the ball several plays in a row in the same series. And, and to me, that's just a better approach and a better way to handle this whole running back rotation is keep a guy in for an entire series. Um, that way, you know, you, you don't have Stephon Johnson coming in the game and then everyone thinks, okay, it's going to be an inside running play. Or C.J. Gable comes in the game and, okay, it's going to be a toss sweep. Um, I would like to see them continue that pattern. I think it's a more effective way to go about it. I agree with you on that. I think that's uh, been a point of contention on the message boards as well. You'd like, you know, I don't mind if you use two or even three backs, but give them a few carries in a row. I think a lot of former running backs have talked about that too. You'd rather get into a rhythm than do that. Now, Mike, we talked about this, Michael. This is your first year on the USCB covering USC for the Orange County Register, doing a great job this year. I think a lot of us that have been around a while, you've seen this team be so good. And uh, sometimes you can kind of nitpick at stuff, you know, even on the defensive side when they're not giving up hardly any points. Do you feel that, like, the people you've been around, like, well, this team is really good. Why is everyone being so critical on, on small things? Uh, have you have you kind of seen that before? I, I guess people get so used to this team being as good as they are that you do have to kind of find things that are wrong just to talk about sometimes. Yeah, oh, there's no question. And it doesn't really surprise me. Um, even though I was, I'm more involved in it now and I was a little bit removed and just kind of watching as a fan. But, you I mean, think about it. Pete Carroll has raised expectations for people. Maybe expectations were high before he even got here. Or maybe they hit a little bit of a lull because the program wasn't having the success that you know, people were used to uh, in the past. But, I mean, the bar has been raised. And, you know, nothing short of uh, an undefeated season or BCS Bowl victory or, you know, all of those really lofty goals 
is pretty much unacceptable at this point. And it is kind of boring from a journalistic standpoint if there's, you know, if, if there are no problems. Problems are more interesting. I mean, I thought the season became uh, more compelling when they lost uh, to Oregon State. I think, you know, some other people have told me, well, you know, interest is going to wane now because they're no longer undefeated and, you know, they might not make the BCS title game. But, you know, those adverse situations are often what kind of, you know, it's when you really find out about people. And, and I think USC has responded well to that situation. And that one loss has been something we've been able to go back to several times over because it's kind of established, you know, what this season has been all about. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to me because the last couple of years they've had a similar loss. And it seemed to be able to, the, the fans and everyone have been able to kind of bounce back fairly well. This Oregon State loss is still lingering today. And uh, I was actually on the phone with Stuart Mandel. He was asking about, uh, he covers uh, college football for SI.com and stuff. And he had some questions about that. I was telling the same thing. I, you know, I've never seen a loss kind of linger this long. Um, and I know it's your, your first year doing it, but it seems like, I mean, th- they're just talking about it over and over. And it, I don't think it's so much about the Oregon State loss because I do think that they're they're actually a better team than I thought they were going to be. Uh, you know, they've had some bad losses there and, you know, got killed by Penn State and stuff. But, they're, you know, they get better as the year goes on. And they, they wouldn't – I don't think they'd represent the Pac-10 all that bad in the Rose Bowl if they had to go there. But because USC has lost to teams that, at least perception-wise, have been inferior over the last couple of years and kind of derailed their chance at a national title, I think it just made this loss all that more important because it's almost like this loss is carrying the burden of the loss from the previous years. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few things in, in play here. One of them is you know, the expectations, which were, you know, raised you know, through the roof with the way they started the season. They had a huge game against Ohio State. They thumped Ohio State. I mean, I, I think everyone inside and outside the program really believed, hey, we have got a really good chance to win the national title here. And then, boom, you know, that Oregon State loss happens, and it really kind of derails everything. Um, I think another factor is just kind of the way that it happened. It wasn't a fluky type of loss, you know, like Stanford game last year, you know, John David Booty had a broken finger. There were a bunch of turnovers. There was a fourth and 20 conversion. There was a, you know, last, you know, uh, a touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone. Uh, and this was a game where they kind of got manhandled for an entire half at least. And it was a shock to the system for anyone who was, experiencing it on the field or watching it from from afar um, and I think it's just been kind of hard to hard to get past that and and the other thing is you know the success that all of these other teams are having and kind of standing in USC's way they've really you know the highest they've been in the BCS has been number five so it just sort of feels like the national title game is just not within reach yeah I mean they, they kind of stick at number five number six and they keep winning and they, they were crushing some teams and they would move down. So I guess that does kind of, uh, and it could be a little depressing for some of the fans. I mean, cause you want to see the team move up this, the rankings and stuff. And it's just been really hard. Just the whole college football landscape. Uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit, the, uh, the locker room, because like, you know, like I said, in the first half of that Stanford game, it wasn't that USC was getting the turnovers and stuff. Like you said, there was no injuries, people playing injured. I mean, Stanford was kind of pushing USC around, especially I think their uh, offensive line pushing around the USC defensive line. And what the, the score tied at halftime was, 
I mean, that was a gift because of the special teams. From I mean, USC offense wasn't playing well. The special teams kind of kept them in the game. And then, you know, obviously they took over in the second half. But that locker room, I mean, we were out, standing outside waiting to get in there to do interviews. They were cheering and screaming. And it, they seemed like... They were genuinely almost like relieved and super happy that they, they kind of bounced back and got through this game, which in the beginning looked like it was going to be a really tough one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the players view these victories a little differently um, from the way we do it. Um, you know, I, I think the bottom line for them is to win the game. And I, I don't know if they care nearly as much about style points um, they did win by 22 uh, in the end, controversially. Yeah. <laughs> as we all know, it affected a lot of people who had interest in the game, that final margin. But, I mean, they pretty much did dominate the second half. It was mission accomplished. They went on the road. They, they avenged last year's loss. Um, and, and I think another factor in the reason that they were singing the fight song so many times was, you know, Pete telling them that they had the day off on Monday. Um, I, I know from my NFL experience that any time a coach would, uh, you know, be in the post-game locker room and say to the guys, "Hey, we'll see you on Wednesday," um, there's probably nothing he could say that would that would make them happier. <laughs> so it was though it was kind of kind of uh, kind of fun to be just outside the locker room. Uh, you know, it's hard to describe to people what the setup was, but they have kind of a separate building um, outside of the stadium. It's really kind of an, an open area. Uh, right outside of where the door is to the locker room. You can really hear everything that was going on. And they were singing that fight song, what, three, four, five times? Yeah, they kept going. It was really really just kind of a real case of boys being boys, and we all got to kind of experience that a little bit. Yeah, it was definitely fun out there. It was a little unique. And it was a beautiful, beautiful stadium. I know Pete Carroll talked about that. It was a really nice uh, nice place. It even looks better. I was there two years ago. It looks a lot better now. And uh, just they did a really nice job with that. just, I guess, one last thing looking forward. You know, they got the two rivalry games coming up. This is a, this ends an eight-week stretch of uh, no time off. Uh, we talked a lot about in the beginning of the season. I mean, they had, you know, a Thursday night game. They had bye weeks. It, was, it, was, it seemed to be a lot of time off. I don't know if that, if you, in your opinion, if that adds to the, you know, unpredictability of how the team is going to come out. But with the, with the bye week and then it's kind of a holiday thing and, and Notre Dame coming into town, what are you expecting for that game from USC? Uh, I think they're going to be fine. Um, it was an unusual start to the season. I think they played three games in 26 days or some some really weird uh, number like that. And, you know, they had a game and then a bye week and then a game and then a bye week because they had a Thursday coming up. So it was really hard to get into a rhythm uh, of any kind. And I think there there was definitely a letdown after the Ohio State game. I don't think that that's going to be a problem this time around because of the teams that they're playing. You always get pumped up for Notre Dame no matter what their record is, and, and they are going to come in at 7-4 and four after, after beating Stanford this week, which you know isn't up to Notre Dame standards, but you know it's not bad. Uh, it's a national TV night game, um, so I think they're going to be fired up for that. You always get fired up for UCLA. So I, I think the buy, this buy actually comes at a really good time. It allows you know, Kevin Ellison to probably get back into the mix and some other guys to heal up. And because of the nature of the opponents, I don't think they're going to have any problem really getting fired up and having a strong finish to the season. As they were heading into the final three games, Ryan, I thought to myself, they're going to have three blowouts. 
Um, the Stanford game wasn't really a blowout, even though the final score looked like it, but I do think that we're going to see the best of USC uh, in these final two games. All right. He's Michael Lev from the Orange County Register. Check out his work every day in the OC Register. You can check him out online, too. Also, where is the uh, – you're, you're contributing to the uh, – I think it's a new blog this year, the uh, Orange County Register USC blog. Uh, where can where can people find that? Because you do contribute to that as well. Oh, do I ever! Like every waking <laughs> moment, it seems like. Yeah, people can check it out at usc.freedomblogging.com. And yeah, like I said, constant contributions to the blog. Please check it out; it's cool. Definitely, it's a lot. I mean, there's there's several USC blogs out there. It's definitely unique, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of good information on that. So you can uh, definitely check that out. Michael Lev, thank you very much for joining us this week. We hope we can have you on again some other time. Thank you, Ryan, anytime. All right, everyone else, stay tuned. We're going to come back with Gerard Martinez uh, after this real short break and talk some USC recruiting. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back, Trojan fans, to our final segment of the Peristyle Podcast for this week. It's episode number 40, and as promised, we are joined by uscfootball.com's recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing this fine Wednesday? I'm doing awesome. Uh, Good to be back on the podcast. It's uh, been a few weeks. Definitely, yeah. We like to have you on, and uh, hopefully you're okay up there. I know there was uh, some fires and stuff out your way, but you're all right. Nothing, uh, no major problems out there. No, no major problems. Uh, a lot of bad traffic, uh, a lot of smoky, um, you know, furniture. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think uh, it got pretty close, uh, but not not so bad. I mean, uh, still everything is intact, and uh, you know, uh, nobody nobody that I know or uh, close to got hurt. So. You know, blessings there. All right. Well, good. That's, that's good news. I was glad to hear you're doing all right. Let's, uh, I just wanted to start off with uh, some of the USC fans out there aren't uh, the big re- recruit nicks that a, a lot of the fans on USCfootball.com are. But I just wanted to give them a little taste of kind of what's going on. If you could give a, a little brief state of the union of USC recruiting right now, heading with about three months or so left until signing day. State of the Union, well, I mean, there's 16 commitments uh, in the 2009 class, um, headlined by, obviously, Matt Barkley, five-star quarterback, 6'3", 225 pounds, uh, number one player in the nation still, according to Rivals.com, number one quarterback in the nation. And, uh, you know, he's had an up-and-down year. I think people are definitely expecting a lot from him. And because he's thrown double-digit interceptions this year, uh, people have been quick to criticize him. But he's still a very good player. He's just playing on a team that's a lot different this year, a team that's younger and not really as skilled or as athletic as it has been in the past. So he's tried to be a little more of a playmaker, but uh, still definitely kind of the headline recruit in the class. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, you've got Vontez Perfect, who is really, in terms of talent and ability, right up there with Barkley. Uh, he's just a dominant player, 6'2", 240 pounds, uh, cat-like quickness. 
He jumps around. We saw him play uh, head-to-head against Barkley when Modern Day met Centennial uh, earlier this year, and uh, just just a spectacular player, kind of guy that can really come in next year and make an impact for USC um, with guys like uh, Ray Maluga leaving in the linebacker court, really needing some depth and needing some guys that be immediate impact players. Vontez Burfick is definitely one of those guys. Um, of the 16 commitments, uh, Daniel Campbell's included in that. Uh, Daniel Campbell's about 6'4", 320 pounds, Signed with USC last year, uh, but didn't get in because of grades, and is now at Hargrave uh, Academy in uh, Chatham, uh, Virginia. So he's going to prep school, and uh, from what we understand, he still has a scholarship offer to USC. Uh, if he gets his grades together and is academically qualified, he'll be able uh, to come in in January and actually participate in spring ball. So that's a big offensive lineman there. Uh, a guy's probably going to end up playing guard. Um, you know, USC has a few guys that are listed uh, of soft verbals, meaning that they're guys that have verbally committed to USC, but they're still looking at taking maybe official visits to other schools as well. Uh, guys like Randall Carroll, um, the big track star receiver, uh, five-star kid, 5'10", 175 pounds uh, from Cathedral High School in Los Angeles. Um, also, uh, you know, players like Vontez Perfect is he's still looking at Arizona State. Um, you know, there's a chance that James Boyd also goes and looks at some other schools. James Boyd is a 6'4", about 220-pound, listed as an athlete. USC would probably bring him in as a defensive end, um, but he plays quarterback for Los Angeles Jordan High School and has had a tremendous year, actually broke <laughs> the state passing record for attempts uh, with 70 <laughs> attempts against Modern Day. Again, Modern Day keeps popping up. But um, it's a guy who's, you know, some schools are talking to him about maybe playing a dual-threat type quarterback position, and, you know, he's interested in that. Um, and obviously, Alshon Jeffrey, who's a 6'3", 215-pound receiver uh, from St. Matthew, South Carolina, across the, you know, the, the, the country in a state that's uh, very SEC-prone. He's there in the backyard of South Carolina. Uh, he'll probably take official visits to North Carolina and Kentucky, and uh, there's some other schools trying to get in on Tennessee, you know, with their coaching change, they're, they're trying to maybe make a move on them. We'll see how that happens. Um, so there's there's still a lot to be figured out about this class down the stretch here. I mean, this is down the stretch of signing day. Um, it's in February. Uh, but from this point on, we're starting to look at a lot more official visits and things start to get a lot more intense. Yeah. And if uh, fans like it, we, uh, we do our war room. We've been doing it every week now on Friday and Gerard uh, contributes some some great tidbits of information to that war room. So definitely check it out on Friday mornings. We usually post that. You can get all the, the latest rumors and innuendo and stuff going on with USC recruiting. Um, Gerard, Southern California, the uh, high school playoffs are getting going. And there's some, some key games coming up in the next couple of weeks you think that uh, fans should pay attention to? Well, there are a lot of Trojan targets and uh, Trojan commits playing in the playoffs this year. And uh, obviously, I mean, I think Pac-5 division playoffs is always a big deal because that's Division One. You've got the big schools like Long Beach Poly. Um, they're the first seed in the playoffs this year, and they're going to be hosting Bishop Amon. Bishop Amon's actually got a lot of UCLA commits. Um, they've got uh, Sheldon Price playing, uh, and uh, he's a pretty big-time cornerback. We have to see, you know, how he plays against Poly. Poly's really going to run the ball. I mean, that's a team that's conservative. Uh, they pounded away. They're physical, and they're not really a big-time passing program. So I don't know how much we're going to see from the cornerback position, but that's you know one of the opening round matchups. Um, I think Notre Dame and Compton is definitely going to be an interesting game. Uh, Notre Dame's the second seed in the playoffs in uh, the Pac-5 division, and Compton is is a team with a whole lot of talent. They've got guys for next year. 
uh, a kid named James McConaughey, who's a player running back for them and probably going to end up being a better cornerback. He's about six foot, 185, really well put together, really athletic. Uh, he's a 2010 recruit. And obviously you've got Chris Metcalf, who's uh, committed to USC for this year. He's about 6'2", 200 pounds, and uh, plays kind of a, a 4'4", fist linebacker uh, slash strong safety. And uh, he actually in uh, the final game of the season, played against Long Beach Poly and uh, unfortunately uh, got kicked out of that game for fighting. So uh, he will be back against Notre Dame, and uh, this is going to be a, a pretty good matchup. It's a tough matchup for Notre Dame, uh, Sherman Oaks, early in the playoffs to play against a team that talented. Um, but uh, you also got Loyola uh, going up and playing against Mission Viejo. And Mission Viejo's got uh, Alan Brad Bridgeford, uh, who's a big-time quarterback, a kid who was in the Elite 11 and is actually an Army All-American. And Mission Viejo, always, you know, a very tough team. Loyola comes to the table, and they bring, you know, Anthony Barr, who's the big-time running back, the 6'4", 230-pound junior, uh, who a lot of people feel end up at uh, Notre Dame. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, got a lot of relatives and, and got some uh, close family ties with uh, Reggie Brooks and, and the Brooks family. And so, you know, his his uncle and his dad have both played at uh, Notre Dame. So it might be hard for USC to get away from him um, and, and steal him away from South Bend. But he does have a USC offer as well as a UCLA offer. He got hurt in the last game of the season. Not sure what his actual, uh, you know, what his status is going to be for the game. Um, but that's, you know, another interesting matchup. And you go down the line, Inland Division probably has some of the, the most interesting games, uh, you know, really waiting for kind of the second, third round. You've got Corona Centennial there, um, obviously with Burfick, and you've got their junior linebacker, um, Brandon Brown, uh, name almost escaped me there. I'm, <laughs> I'm going through so many names sometimes no, you, I forget you, some of these. But kids. you always have them on the top of your, your the tip of your tongue, Jordan. I'm not sure how you do it. You can just name off, boom, height, weight, well, story. Yes, yeah, he, he big kid, six two, two hundred forty pounds. We actually went to go see him. Uh, we went down to uh, Corona Centennial just a couple weeks ago, actually, and and checked him out. And and he's you know definitely a man amongst boys when it comes to linebackers in this. Uh, 2010 class. He's a big boy, and he's been playing pretty well for him. I mean, that defense, Centennial is just a machine right now, and it's going to be tough for anybody to really beat him. But uh, in the second seed, you've got Rancho Verde, and, and Rancho Verde, when you talk about talent, they're right there with Corona. They've got uh, Ronald Powell, who's a, a 6'3", 250-pound defensive end, who's just – he looks like he's really going to really be the real deal. Um, he, he's a kid that we've known about for a long time, but it seems like the light has kind of gone off in his head. Uh, that's a kid with the USC offer, and he's been playing really well. It's another kind of a spread offense. They run a lot of no huddle, and uh, it's kind of running gun. So they go up and the, down the field pretty quickly, just like Corona Centennial does. So that would be a, a really interesting matchup. If those two teams were able to play first and second seed for the championship, um, who knows? That that would be a, maybe you know a game that would be scoring in the hundreds or something. That that would be a pretty <laughs> crazy offensive uh, uh, matchup. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just just games and games to look at and and uh, a lot of SC players in there and a lot of guys that uh, SC could be recruiting for next year that you got to keep involved with. Yeah, there's a lot of 2010 guys, and uh, you keep up with all that up on the website. So if you guys are interested, anyone out there, check out uscfootball.com. Actually, Gerard, what, what can I expect? I'm going to go out to that Sherman Oaks uh, Compton game on Friday. I'll be up there doing some video and stuff. We'll do some interviews afterwards. Uh, what are you expecting from up there? Oh, I think Notre Dame is going to win. I mean, Notre Dame is definitely, I think, a, a more solid program all around. Um, they've got, uh, you know, they've got this underclassman quarterback. A lot of people are, are pretty, I mean, they're, they're pretty high on. He's not a real big kid. He's about 6'2", about 185 pounds. His name is Ryan Kastorf. 
And uh, he's, he's been playing pretty well, though. And, and when we saw him in person, you see a lot of quarterbacks get listed as 6'2", and they end up being six foot. He's all a 6'2", so he's going to end up being a pretty big-time quarterback, I think, in this next year. Um, not a guy USC is going to recruit, obviously, with Barkley in the fold. And there's some other guys out there like Tyler Shreve um, and uh, Pete Thomas uh, from San Diego. Those guys are probably going to look first. But he's a good quarterback, and I think when you've got a good quarterback that's not going to turn the ball over and you've got a good system like uh, Sherman Oaks Notre Dame has – it's going to be tough for a team like Compton to really win. Compton is a, is a double-wing T uh, offense, and uh, good, solid, disciplined defense usually takes those guys uh, out of the game. So we'll see, though. Like I said, Compton, a lot of talent there, a lot of kids that are uh, possible Division One kids. I mean, nobody's talking about Justin Brown, who's a 6'3", 270-pound defensive tackle who doesn't really have any scholarship offers right now, but everybody I talk to who plays against the kid just raves about him. So there's a lot of guys at that Compton team, and you just never know. It's football. You never know what's going to happen. All right. Well, we'll keep our cameras on Chris Metcalf and try to look at some of those other guys you mentioned as well. Gerard, thanks very much. We'll definitely have to have you on again, and I'm sure we will. Leading up to signing day, it's going to be a lot of recruiting over the next three months, and I know you're going to have your finger on the pulse of all of that. I have to. It's my job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Gerard, and uh, glad you're okay up there, everyone else. Thank you very much for another week of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week talking more USC football. It'll be the pre-Thanksgiving show, and we will give a good preview, an in-depth preview of Notre Dame. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.